0: This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloan. On this episode we talk to MG Motorsports star Paul Lutty about how a passion for MG and the need to combat a medical condition led him to a hugely successful motorsport career. Plus Adam and I preview a new event planned to celebrate 90 years of the MG Car Club and find some fascinating extracts from the Kimber House archives mg car club podcast welcome then to a major milestone in the mg car club podcast yes welcome along to episode 20 already of the podcast that brings the worldwide community of mg fans together every week via the mg car club i'm wayne scott it's nice to have you listening and uh, adam's here again from
1: the depths of kimber house hi adam hello mate i'm uh, back once again and i've got some important news have you yes uh, as we reach our 20th episode of the podcast did you know that we are drum roll please the thank you the 37th most popular automotive podcast in the netherlands wow hey Hey.
0: (laughs) don't let this go straight to your head adam but keep your feet on the ground keep grounded don't let the celebrity status go to your head you promised me that
1: i promise you that but i am i will be honest i am looking at endorsement deals with uh ajax football club uh, yes tulips and uh, a podcast studio in the middle of amsterdam so uh, we'll see how that pans out
0: i can't believe actually looking back over 20 weeks of the mg car club podcast that that time has gone so quickly Um, i mean i I hope everyone listening is still enjoying it of course if you have any suggestions of people you want us to interview stuff you'd like us to talk about please do get in touch and it's really easy to do so you can go to the website mgpodcast.uk click the contact form there and you can leave us either a written message just to say what you'd like on the show or indeed you can get on the show yourself by leaving us an audio message and you can use the little voice recorder on the website there uh, to leave us a message and we'll put you on this show it's your podcast as much as it is ours we'd love to hear from you but it has been a crazy 20 weeks we initially started this during deep lockdown here in the uk as the covid19 pandemic took over the world 20 weeks later it's still at the forefront of our minds and still very much curtailing what we would normally consider as normal mg activities isn't it
1: yeah it's been a really weird year i mean when we look back to sort of january february we were planning mg live Uh, we were looking forward to things like silverstone classic and of course the, the big thing for us was going to be the club's 90th anniversary which you know unfortunately we've had to celebrate most of it as you say in lockdown but some of the great stories that we have encountered
0: along the way over the last 20 weeks some great stories about the history of the mg car club some fascinating insights into people's car collections and how they got into mg and where they got the enthusiasm from but also we've seen some really nice things happening out in the club as well especially the zoom calls and the virtual side of things that people have hailed natters online and uh, the worldwide community has come together and people have kept in touch with each other within the mg car club haven't they over the last 20 weeks
1: yeah it's incredible it just goes to show the strength of of feeling for not just the club i mean the the club is great the cars are great but it's the people you know and when so much of normality has been sort of taken away from us over the last 20 weeks it's amazing to see that strength of feeling for for fellow club members that means they've still made the effort to get together albeit virtually
0: well we've enjoyed keeping you together here on the podcast and hopefully entertaining you every week we're going to carry on with this podcast and we're going to take you through until well whenever you're bored of us really but keep listening keep telling all your friends in the mg world about what we're doing here with the mg car club podcast if you have a friend who's never heard it before send them the link let's spread the word as we do with the club activities in general and club activities is on the list of things to talk about adam for this episode and we have got some plans for october at the british motor museum in gaydon warwickshire haven't we
1: yes so we're looking to organize an event um on the weekend of the club's 90th anniversary so the club was formed on october the 12th so on the 10th of october we're going to head to Gaydon for what we're calling the mg car club social brilliant and this is an opportunity the first opportunity of the year
0: to really get together in person and what's hopefully going to change what we're kind of banking on with this is that here in the UK um, and I appreciate Wales and Scotland are running to slightly different timescales and agendas with the easing of lockdown but the idea is that by the 1st of October we can start to have conferences we understand that there's going to be an easing on uh, groups of people coming together and the numbers of those people Um, there have been a few events already running at the british motor museum over the summer Um, i know there's a jaguar breakfast meet that happens and uh, there was the mini and metro show uh, that uh, took place the first weekend or, or is due to take place rather the first weekend of september so Some small gatherings are starting to take place, but but we're hoping by the time we get to that October date that things will have been eased enough for us as an MG car club to go out and have a nice little event to celebrate 90 years of the club. So what are the plans, Adam? A rough idea of what we
1: can expect at Gaydon that day. So the plans at the moment are to keep things fairly sort of informal, fairly casual, um, we're going to obviously look to, to put on a good display of cars. Uh, the Kimber House team will be there. We'll be bringing um, the club shop with us. Um, we're looking at the moment into the possibility of organising uh, an arena to give people the opportunity to show off their cars. And really what we want to do is try and get as broad a spectrum of MGs there as possible. Um, we'd love to be able to represent the full 90 years of the club. So if we could have a model that represents sort of Each decade that the car club has existed, that would be amazing. Um, And of course, uh, being an event at Gaydon, you'll get access to the museum. Given the current situation, things are a little bit different in the museum. Um, But one of the big attractions for us about going and having this event at Gaydon was the fact that it's a fully uh, COVID-compliant venue. So that means the the guys at Gaydon have worked really hard and they've got track and trace in in place. um, And it's a proper, safe event so you can come and have a a good look around the museum you can see those iconic record-breaking cars that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago here on the podcast Um, and really just have an opportunity that we've been robbed of uh, so far this year which is to catch up in person with your mates um, see some lovely cars see the guys um, you know from, from Kimber House and from other bits of the club so yeah it should be a really nice social event and that's the whole point of why we're looking to do this absolutely and uh, you never
0: know we might be able to do the mg car club podcast live another idea that we're looking at uh let us know if that's the sort of thing you'd like to be a part of or see could be good fun i reckon uh but as, as adam says you know track and trace will still be an important part of what all events have to put in place so that will mean that this event will be Pre-book only. You will not be able to turn up on the day. It must be pre-booked. So do keep an eye on our weekly newsletter that comes into your inboxes. If you're not getting that, you can sign up to receive it at mgcc.co.uk. Or of course, keep in touch with us here on the podcast, and we'll let you know when bookings open. Uh, just one of those things that unfortunately COVID has required of us to make sure that uh, well, we've got a trace of everyone who's been at the event. So that's how we keep people safe. And it will be a safe event, as you said, Adam, and it's worth—it's a point worth reinforcing, really, that the British Motor Museum have worked with the Department for Culture, Media and Sport very closely to make sure that their venue is very safe for these type of events.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, the safety is, is the number one issue here. Um, funnily enough, I had an email from uh, the MGA register from uh, Colin Manley. Hello, Colin, if you're listening. Um, and Colin asked, you know, what what is the club's sort of definitive stance on all things coronavirus? And I said, Tim, well, the guidance really hasn't changed. You know, that that thirty person limit um, is still in place. Um, and while you know, you can look on social media and you can see, you know, some Facebook groups and other other sort of clubs uh, perhaps getting together for for events. Um, our guidance hasn't changed we're following the fbhvc guidance we're following the government guidance um and above all it's about keeping people safe so yeah we're really looking forward to to being able to catch up with everyone in october and we hope to see you there it will be informal it will be fun and it'll be a great way to mark 90 years
0: of the mg car club we'll keep you posted here on the mg car club podcast for the latest news on that event happening on saturday the 10th of october 2020 brand new cars from mg we announced this on the newsletter last week actually and it's mg's fourth model in india it's due to launch this winter and i understand adam you've already seen this it is the mg gloucester now i point this out really because whilst it won't be available here in the uk it is quite an interesting move by mg india because that is putting them squarely into a new market and that is the luxury high-end massive suv market isn't it
1: it's a big old beast um i was fortunate enough to uh, to be in india back in february before much of the world sort of went into lockdown really um and got to uh, get up close with the with the gloucester and it is huge um it's really really big um but it um, it's a very different car to hector and to uh, zsev which are there and the hector plus which are their other cars in in india but um yeah very different package much more focused on um quality luxury um yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how that car does in that market
0: incredible to see how quickly mg india are pumping out new models i mean it started back in july 2019 last year with the hector the zsev followed last christmas then the hector plus we spoke about here on the podcast just a few weeks ago and now already here we have yet another model and yet another market segment that mg are entering into i mean this car is a lot different from how they unveiled it when we saw it first at auto expo in february um it is basically a Maxus d90 it is bristling with technology as you would expect from mg india it's got all sorts of autonomous parking technology on it emergency stop and collision avoidance systems and amazing technology on board this car you would therefore expect it to have a very technically advanced engine and power plant but actually it's a diesel which quite surprised me
1: yeah, it is perhaps surprising given the, the current trend with, with diesel cars in Europe. But uh, in India, the diesel car has still very much got a, a key role to play in that market. So, um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised they're offering a diesel. I spent a lot of time in and around diesel cars. Um, when I was a journalist writing for Diesel Car Magazine. Um, and I have got a bit of a soft spot for the old oil burners. And uh, I think it's good to see that there are still uses for diesel technology, especially in emerging markets where, you know, the infrastructure isn't really there yet for, for electric vehicles like the ZSEV. Although India is, is being very brave in spearheading that that change. Um, but obviously they still need to, to gain that mass market appeal. And the best way to do that is with a diesel well
0: it's also a part-time four-wheel drive as well so definitely squarely in the luxury suv market here to take on the likes of uh, well ford in that market in particular a very strong and toyota as well and as you say it's a whopper it comes in at over five meters in length are nearly two meters wide and are nearly two meters high actually so it is a big old car and they reckon it's going to come with seven seat and six seat configurations as well so an interesting new step there for mg over in india as the mg gloucester is set to be launched in december this year now from very new stuff to very old stuff, because Adam has once again been ferreting about in the archives of Kimber House. What have you found this week?
1: I, I like how you describe me as a ferret.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite apt, actually. You're a bit, you're a bit furry and very cute. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> and if you annoy him too much, he bites you.
1: Yeah, well, we won't go into that. It's a family podcast. Um, so, so, yeah, so I've uh, I've descended the staircase once again into the archive. Um, and it's actually quite a nice place to be when it's uh, a little bit warmer because it's the coolest room in the whole of Kimber House. Um, because there's so much paper in there, it's, um, it's atmospherically controlled. So yeah, if you're feeling a bit hot and bothered, go and have a nose through the archive, find some cool stuff and literally cool down. So, um, so this week I have pulled uh, from the archive a bound copy of BMC World brilliant now i'm very excited about this because this
0: was the in effect internal magazine for the british motor corporation this was part of their sort of pr strategy wasn't it
1: well the the thing i like about it is that that it, it goes from sort of really important things like new car launches which i'll come on to in a minute um but also it touches upon um angling matches uh, so the the anglers from the Longbridge North Tour Room and the South Press Tour Room were expected to compete compete in an angling match uh, at Hampton Lode on the fourth of September. Um, through to uh, the there was a wedding in uh, Rubery, uh between uh, John Amos, uh, who worked in uh, cab number one at Longbridge, and he married an Austin Cost Office typist called Mary Houghton. How sweet wow. is that?
0: That's lovely. And it just goes to reinforce what we were saying last week, actually, when we were talking about that big party in Abingdon. It was very much a community built around the factory and people's lives and um, families were interwoven into the factory, weren't they?
1: definitely and you know i mean these all date from from 1965 so it's a really interesting time when bmc was arguably at the height of its powers with cars like the mini the 1100 the mgb um you know really sort of pushing those global successes all over the world and it underlines how successful um bmc was doing globally because uh, the lead story here was a, a visit of four um four people from china Um, a four-man trade delegation from the people's republic of china visited longbridge last month as guests of bmc Uh, the visit was followed by a two hundred pound order which was a lot of money back in 1965 from china for 300 four-wheel drive austin gypsies wow Uh, yeah um and i just love the the they were treated to lunch Um, did they not afford land rovers then well I guess a Land Rover was probably a a bit more expensive than an Austin Gypsy I don't know Um, I'd be interested to see sort of comparatively what the prices were back in the 60s Um, but they were treated to lunch and then they were driven to the top of the multi-story car park in Austin 1800s for a panoramic view of the 260 acre Longbridge factory wow they knew how to treat them didn't they but it just underlines what a, what a big deal Longbridge was back in the 60s, doesn't it? It does. And also it underlines how early
0: those early relationships with emerging markets were already then because during the 50s and 60s it was all about the american market you had to sell models into america if you were to survive and that was where the vast majority of the british car exports went to they went to the states by the time the 70s and 80s started to come you can see these emerging markets china being one of them and and the british motor industry starting to turn their gaze on those markets and what they could possibly do with them in the future and of course ultimately that led to yes the situation with mg today with its uh, strong base in india and its manufacturing base in china but also when you look at stories like the maestro for example they went on being built in india long after they were not available here in the uk so it was a beginning of a long relationship and story
1: into what then was an emerging market i guess yeah definitely um but there's just so many really interesting stories in these in these copies of bmc world um coming a bit closer to home to abingdon um there's news that stuart Seeger, the editor of safety fast um, who is based with mg abingdon has recently produced a most fascinating picture book entitled the picture story of world sports cars Um, It features a foreword by Mr. John Thornley, director and general manager of the Sports Car Factory, who handily points out that nobody had previously succeeded in producing a comprehensive pictorial history that covers so much in a single volume. The uh, the book covers over 120 marks, uh, each of which is worthy of at least one book to itself. And it's available now from all good booksellers for just 15 shillings
0: wow i found a copy of it for sale on amazon i'm just really ordering it yeah the first edition which was first of january 1965 so here it is for sale actually i'm gonna have it and by the time you listen to this dear listener i will have bought it so you, you can't but um <laughs> for some reason they're not those amazon books that are like 300 quid a piece um this one i have just purchased right now for five pounds the princely sum of fantastic there we are another book to add to my collection thanks for
1: the tip off there adam that's all right mate Um, that's all right um uh, moving on through 65 uh to the to the last uh article I've, i've pulled from this book um the gt gives mgb wider appeal Another big success by BMC at the Earl's Court was the introduction of the MGB GT, a luxurious closed version of the best-selling two-seater. The car couples the over 100mph performance and handling of an MGB with the luxurious, spacious closed body. This new car with its up-to-the-minute fastback styling has been designed to provide greater space for passengers and luggage than is currently available in the normal two-seat sports car. It is felt that the GT will appeal to many people who've wanted the performance of a sports car, but have preferred the amenities of a saloon body and its luggage-carrying facilities. The GT is powered by the same robust 1798cc five-bearing engine, developing 95bhp in the MGB. So uh, they were pretty keen on the MGB, but what I like is this line here. The rear seat can be used to carry two children or two adults anyone who's ever tried to get in the back of an MGB GT will know that no adult can get in the back of a GT
0: very ambitious I think I certainly would not get in the back of an MGB GT I might also take issue with the extra luggage capacity of an MGB GT I'm actually convinced you can fit more in a in a soft top to be honest that would be a really interesting head-to-head it would wouldn't it i think that's the challenge we need to uh and a a question we need to answer here on the podcast actually
1: i reckon i can get more in my in my bgt than you could in a b roadster really i see in a b roadster you've got
0: the boot which has the lid on it and with loads of little nooks and crannies you can sort of
1: pack stuff into and then you've also got behind the seats yeah i i challenge you to that i i've got photos of so much stuff crammed in my bgt um i did a i did a a years ago i did a photo shoot where i ended up um doing the brakes and everything and i had all the parts and a new stainless steel exhaust all in the back of my bgt i don't dispute that adam but i could fit a load of stuff in my convertible and still see out the rear view mirror there you go yeah but (laughs) mate when you're driving down the road you don't need to look behind you you've got to look (laughs) forward if it's behind you you've passed it Safety fast, mate. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I like the idea of that.
0: Perhaps if we have any listeners to the podcast that have both the BGT and a convertible at home, perhaps you could run this test for us. Get your your smartphone out and film it and send it in to us uh we'd like to hear from you the listener perhaps you can answer this argument that adam and i have in here and uh, help us out perhaps you have a view on it get in touch mgpodcast.uk. if not we'll have to do it ourselves adam it sounds like it was a challenge brewing mate <laughs> brilliant well you may remember that last week we broke the news that motorsport uk the governing body of the sport had eased restrictions enough to restart motorsport in scotland And so what I thought would be really nice was to talk to one of our motorsport friends in Scotland, just outside Calendar, in fact. He's done many years in the MG Trophy, and we speak to Paul Lutty next.
2: The MG Car Club podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of
0: our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, Join us now at mgcc.go.uk, Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Now on the MG Car Club podcast, we're talking to a racer. It's always good when we get someone from motorsport onto the show. It's Paul Lutty and he's up in Scotland, aren't you, Paul?
2: Yes, I am. In fact, do you know, uh, if I told you where I was right now, you probably wouldn't believe me. Go on, tell me. Um, I'm on top of a hill. Uh (laughs) it's actually my wife's fault, uh because I had to get out of the house and uh we have a little baby now and because of that me talking would probably be a nightmare regarding the baby sleeping and whatever. So (laughs) I went for a drive and in her little car, uh, a little M G three, and I've ended up uh, away up a hill, um on a road called the Duke's Pass, which is like a mini version of the Alps.
0: Oh nice. Yes, just outside of Calendar.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm in the Trossics, Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. And there's flies everywhere. Um, they must think I'm sitting in a giant flower, I think, at the moment. <laughs> um.
0: It's top. Midgey season up in the Highlands at the moment, isn't it? So uh, that's probably what's buzzing around you at the minute. And good to hear that you are, are in an MG studio. That's great. We talked to you from the bowels of an MG three, uh, up a hill in Scotland. And uh, I was I was wondering there whether it was because the baby had such a good pair of lungs on it that you had to get up a hill to get away from the noise. But it's the other way round. That's <laughs> that's good.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. I don't want to I don't want to get slapped about the back of the
0: head. No, fair <laughs> enough. Yes, let's stay out of trouble for this interview um of course the Trossachs is an area that has quite a rich motorsport history itself um the rest and be thankful hill climb only just down the road isn't it
2: it's actually a sad state of affairs at the moment though because it's shut <laughs> there's been a there's been a landslide so it's been closed for uh, a couple of weeks now i think a couple of weeks something like that but yeah no so that's not far i i've never actually had the chance to do to do the little hill climb it runs along the side of it
0: Yes, it's, a, it's one of those moments where you drive something and you recognise bits of it from old photographs, you know, and you go, oh, this is that bit where that picture of Jim Clark is and, and things like that. You can still recognise it very much from those old days. Um, but talking of old days, Paul, take us back to your old days and how did you get involved with the MG brand in the first place?
2: I would say my father, the main culprit behind it. Uh, he had He had an interest in MGs from a young age. Uh, before he started his little workshop he worked in a little cafe and then decided you know I'm into cars I like MGs got into it that much that he started this little garage and got really good with classic MGs and other things like that then years down the line became an official MG Rover service centre never got involved in car sales just, just purely service and then of course I came along and first car is obviously going to be some form of mg rover so uh, road road car wise it was a little rover 214 sei which was a fantastic car actually i loved that the bits and from then on uh, every other car had to be an mg or a rover that's pretty much it I, that was what i grew up with i i, I liked them and uh, everything else was rubbish in my opinion that was that was pretty much it
0: it is a loyalty that starts early on in some people's lives isn't it the loyalty for mg
2: yeah, it's, it's funny, the attachment you get to a badge. I mean, not all of them have been great, yet we still love them. You know, it's, it's funny. Actually, the best car I ever had was probably the worst one, which, is, which sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Uh, best, the best one out of the lot for me was uh, an MOT failure Rover 100. In fact, no, it wasn't even a 100. It was a Rover Metro. A 1.1, four-speed, had a flat spot, didn't run properly. But it was fine. And it had been in the garage for an MOT, failed on corrosion. So my father very kindly gave this thing to me, and I patched up the, the holes. I sort of super glued them with a MIG welder. It patched this MOT, and I used this little thing as my daily, and I loved it. It ran on fumes, you know, tyres were cheap, brakes were cheap, everything was cheap. Uh, it actually had the best gearbox in it. You didn't need to use the clutch to change gear. I, I've never driven a car since it was like that. If you got the rev right, you just never needed to use the clutch. It was fantastic, <laughs> which I think was maybe a good thing because I used that technique, believe it or not, in a couple of races when I had a clutch fail, so maybe I learned something from that little car. <laughs> um, but, but, but sadly, I lent it to someone and it died. Uh, they basically wrecked it. So I was I was quite gutted about that. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. That was that was a sad time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> a very sad time. I think I think I even shed a tear. I think I was shed a tear. But I must say actually, this this I may maybe running known here, but the the fact that I had that little car and it was so good. I mean you could drive that uh, past a police going the opposite way, flat out. And maybe you just thought you were going for a Sunday drive. It was that slow. But you you felt like you were doing, you know, Mac one it was, it was it was incredible. And I actually, years later, decided I want another one of them. Because it was so good, I, I just need another one. So I, I bought a... I moved up a little bit. I went from a 1.1 Rio. I bought a, a, a 1.4 GTI. Ooh. Now this thing... Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Like all little Rover Metros, they, they have the rust in the usual places. So I take it apart. Uh, and when I say that I, I meant I just lifted the carpet to do the, 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 the floor and found a couple of bits so I decided like right, okay let's do them and, and then as the carpet was lifted a wee bit further I noticed another bit I thought well it just went over the top I ended up getting the whole thing sandblasted had all these new panels put on it every part that went back on had to be sandblasted and powder coated it got to the point where you'd done so much anyway that you couldn't put an old piece back on so everything was new blah 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 and then I made a vital mistake I put a tricky engine in it, and that destroyed it. Destroyed oh really? It because it's too fast. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's no. So the 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 big. The, I should actually left a little 1.4 in it because it's way more fun. The one that's in it's just it's about 200 horsepower. It sounds brilliant, and after about five minutes, you're bored because you can't you can't drive it you know you're just tickling it all the time whereas the smaller engine you could you could drive it and you're not actually being an idiot on the road you're you're just basically trying to keep up with normal traffic but it feels like you're really going for it mm.
0: and i suppose torque steer is always a factor when you start upping the power on those little little cars
2: yeah it can be this one didn't have a fancy diff in it so it wasn't such a problem it was just a, just an open diff so you, you didn't get the pulling but the other problem was, I mean, it's so nice, I didn't want to take it in the rain. And of course, I live in one of the wettest parts of the UK. So it really, it really sees daylight, it's stuff in the garage, it didn't go out at all last year. And this year, it's, I, I had it MOT, and it's back in the garage. And it's not actually been taxed, I didn't even out because I haven't had a chance to use it. Because the weather's not been good enough, or I've not had the spare time.
0: This is the thing, isn't it? We start as you say just uh you know picking at the edges of a small repair and there'll be so many people listening to this that will recognize that story from a small repair that turns into a complete restoration and then you end up with a car that's so good you dare not use it (laughs) it's a common story
2: (laughs) oh that's good it's not
0: just me (laughs) not just you paul no absolutely um but let's talk about the racing side of things um, because that's what probably people who would have heard of you before will know you for. Where did motorsport begin? Obviously, you've come from a family of uh, you know passionate petrol head people, but how did how did motorsport begin for you?
2: It was it was kind of an accident. Uh, it wasn't meant to be. I was a motorbike guy, so my passion was actually motorcycle trials. So from the age of about uh, well, uh, Claire, my sister and I. We're fortunate enough, my, my dad, mum and dad were very kind and we had a little trike and we, we had a little 50cc motocross bike um, as kids, little Honda things. I've still got the trike, believe it or not. And then, of course, I moved up into a, a bigger bike and it became a trails bike. Got right into that. My sister kind of went off the whole thing. She fell off and that was the end of it. I continued. Um, she got involved in motorsport racing a little metro while I continued to play on trails bikes. And then I ended up getting bacterial endocarditis. So basically it's an infection in your blood that attacks part of your body and it usually attacks your one of your heart valves and it grows this little vegetation on the valve uh, and while it sits there it eats away at your valve you end up with a murmur and if you don't do anything about it then obviously it's it's quite a bad thing so basically what they have to do is chop Chop this heart valve out and put in an artificial one. So, you know, you start to tick like a, a wee Swiss clock. The problem with this is because I now have a foreign body in in my heart. I have to take warfarin, which lots of people do um, as you get older. Warfarin uh, thins your blood, reduces the white blood cells. <laughs> and you might be wondering why I'm going down this route. Well, the problem with trials is you're out in the middle of nowhere, and if you fall off and hurt yourself, it's a big problem. Bleeding's an issue. Uh, breaking bones is an issue. So my dad said to me, well, do you fancy doing motorsport? And I, I, I quite fancied the idea, but I was, I was doing really well on the trails bike, so I didn't want to start something new. Uh, well, he says, because the doctors have said you shouldn't be doing this anymore because if you go out in the middle of nowhere, it's a, bad, it's, a bad, it's a bad problem, big problem. So the good thing with motor racing, is, as you'll know, is you have medical crew there the whole time. You know, there's a, basically if there's an accident within a couple of minutes, there's there's people there looking at you. They've got first aid on site. Uh, worst case scenario, there's helicopter pads. They can get a helicopter in. Blah blah blah. So the whole golden hour thing uh, works a lot better a racing circuit compared to being out in the middle of nowhere on a trails bike. So so that's how I started. And then because because my sister had raced a little metro, we decided that well why don't we get another metro. And the two of you can go out and have a play uh, and race each other. So that sounded great. But the problem was my sister's Metro was a highly tuned 1.4. that was about 160 horsepower rev to the 8, I think, 8.4 rev to 8,400. So to build that engine, again, would have been quite pricey. So we decided to go down the 1.8 VDC route and it'd be roughly the same speed as the 1.4 which it was it was very similar and Claire and I would give each other a hard time on the track and that was that was pretty much brilliant sibling rivalry I like it yeah well it was quite funny I remember my mum came to one race at Knock Hill lasted about three laps and had to walk away (laughs) because she couldn't handle watching my sister cut the front off my car every time we were (laughs) you know, turning into the hairpin. My sister knew that I would get out of the way. (laughs) So she would just swerve in front of me, knowing that I wouldn't want to hit the two cars together. She had had more guts than I did. Uh, And that was it. My mum, obviously not realising that we're kind of in control of what's going on, couldn't handle it and would disappear. And that was pretty much the last time she ever watched me race. And uh, she will refuse to do it to this day. In fact, if I tell her, Uh, on the phone, right mum I've just got to go or just heading out for qualifying, I'll get in trouble for that because she'll know that over the next half an hour I'm on track
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever sort of approach motorsport from the point of view of it being a potential career or was it always just a hobby and a bit of fun at the weekends to take your sister on as it were?
2: Started off as let's just go and have a bit of fun because Claire and I, we've been very lucky that uh, our mum and dad always tried to Give us a, you know, we had a nice hobby, a really appealing hobby. You know, always had a good hobby. So uh, yes, yeah, so it bounced from the bikes to the cars. So it was, it was meant to be a hobby, and and all these things are expensive, especially motor racing. And the idea is that if it's not fun, we're stopping but as soon as it's not fun, because it's a very expensive day out if you're not enjoying it, and that's why we're we're there, we're there to have fun. I I always do it for fun. Don't get me wrong, I have definitely tried to make some sort of career out of it but the truth is to do it you got to pay you, you just got to pay so if the, the further you want to get the more money you've got to spend I mean I, I mean, you'll know yourself there's a, there's a level that we can all get to and the sad thing is there's not someone standing there watching you to see how you get on there's not someone really paying attention that you've just won a championship and want to take you on you know, most people fund their own driving. And that's, that's a sad fact. It's not, it's not like, I don't know, football or tennis or something where you know, you win something and then, you know, you get moved into a different league or whatever. You want to move up, sign the check, and off you go. And I, I, I've tried. I really have tried. And, and lots of people have tried. And, yeah, it basically gets to the point where your funding, your personal funding is as far as you, as you can get. I mean, I've, I've been really lucky. Don't get me wrong, I've been lucky. I mean, to get to race in, well, the MG Trophy Championship is the last championship I've just done. And I've been in that since 2008. I mean, to be able to do that many seasons of any one make championship is, is a big deal, you know. It's, so I, I'm very fortunate to get to do that. But if you want to jump up to, say, something like the minis, for example, the I mean, that's, oof, you're over 100 grand for a season. That's, that's, that's big money, you know, it jumps up a lot. I had MG helping me out, which was brilliant. They, they were exceptional when it came to the first, the first car they helped us with was the MG ZT520. And uh, the, they basically built us a, a lightweight body and had a, a very tricky FIA cage put in it. And because MG didn't actually have racing colours, Believe it or not, the black and the black and green isn't actually MG; it's MG Sport Racing, which was a different department. Because the MG themselves didn't have racing colours, they adopted the black and green, which is what we ended up with on the on the MG ZT 520. Um, and then they supplied us with uh, a prototype, a ZT 385, which of course had all the the fancy body kit on, it, the big flared arches, the fancy bumpers, and it actually had wider suspension on it too, which. We stole. We basically took all these fancy bits off, put on this new body, and then uh, the rest of the car was was done by ourselves, really. Um, but I mean, to get a shell with a cage built in it and painted, all ready to go, was fantastic. And a load of spares on another car was brilliant. So uh, that car was awesome. That one is that one's now in Australia. It's been raced over there. There's the another one that they helped me with was an MG Le Five Hundred. MG F L 500 which was great so they supplied us with a a prototype I think it was a water test car if I remember rightly only done about 500 miles which was great it was heading to the crusher which is quite sad when you you hear these cars get sent to the crusher and uh, so they sent us that and and a load of parts a load of spares and and we built that into a race car that competed in the MG Trophy Championship for 2009 was the first season and 2012 was the last. And how was that
0: going to a mid-engine sports car from a saloon? Did it take a lot to adapt your driving to that, to that different configuration?
2: For me, not really. And I, I think it stems back to when I was little and I had the little trike, a little Honda trike. So it was a little 70cc trike and I learned how to slide and do donuts and drift and whatever in the snow in the garden. Um, so I just got used to that and then other bikes with the weight was in different place and how they moved and then messing about around the garage and bangers with front wheel drive I got used to playing my handbrakes and moving them out that way and then rear wheel drives and getting used to them when I was really young driving on a beach and stuff like that um, so I, I didn't really think about it too much to be totally honest uh, I would say that at the very beginning you're always going to make a few wee silly mistakes and, and you very quickly learn But such a capable
0: Um, little car, isn't it? I mean, you know, it it can't take too long to get to grips with it because it's such a lovely little package as a a sports car for the road, but seems to translate well to racing also.
2: Oh, I mean, the car was quick. It was really, with the same engine that the ZRs were using, it was definitely quick in a straight line. Unbelievable off off the line in the start of the race because obviously you've got all the weight on the back wheels. So, I mean, I didn't even have to worry about qualifying in that car, because you knew you were going to jump at least one row, if not two, <laughs> by, by, by the time you got to the first corner. And the one downfall it had, in fact, there was two, because the MG Trophy Championship was kind of touchy-feely at times, if you get got a little tap on the back end and you're in the front-wheel drive car, you just turn into it, give it full throttle, and catch it, if you've got enough power, but usually you're okay. Whereas in the TF... We had to put, first of all, because of the size of tyre we were using, we had to put spacers on the rack so it didn't turn as much. So, number one, if you got a nudge, you couldn't turn the steering as much. And number two, because it's rear-wheel drive, you couldn't pull it out of a problem. So, in a in a crowd, if you get bullied a little bit, you're at a slight disadvantage. And there was one, one other thing was due, due to the shape, the front-end grip when you were high-speed turning. So, say, anything around about 100 miles an hour, I know it's a bit excessive, you're not going to have that on the road, but 100 miles an hour, the front would be a little bit lighter. Um, but And we were not allowed to mess with the the shape of the car, anything to do with the silhouette or underneath uh, due to the regs. So there would have been an easy fix, but your initial turn in wasn't quite so good. So you had to turn in a little bit earlier than the ZR's, which would sometimes ruin your exit speed on the way out. But that week, car won. It's it. Uh, so two thousand and nine was basically a a test for the car, and two thousand and ten, we actually beat all the ZRs. So if we had been in the same class, which we officially weren't, but if we had been, we would have won in points. Um, so that was that was a big deal. That was that was that was basically what MG wanted to do. Can the the new owners of MG can can we with the new MG Le five hundred beat the old MG ZR and uh, that, was, that was their big thing because originally the, when the ZRs were introduced to that particular championship it was full of MGFs and the MGFs were getting destroyed by the ZR. so it was good to see that the new TF could come back and beat the, beat the ZRs. The MG Car Club Podcast.
0: <laughs> Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk well on next week's podcast i'll continue my conversation with paul lutte as he takes us through the story of when he flew to china to demonstrate mg's for mg motor and also a hilarious story of why you shouldn't have a curry before you go racing on a sunday at
1: silverstone it's all next week on the mg car club podcast i uh i was lucky enough to go to china with paul a couple of years ago and i was a little bit sort of apprehensive before we went because um i I didn't really know him that well and it's a long way to go when you're sat in economy flying all that way and then you know you're literally thrown together while you're doing this event in china and yeah he was brilliant company and he's such a lovely guy
0: we've got some stuff to talk about in the shop this week
1: and i'm
0: quite intrigued by this one um mg car club suites are these like those little old school tins that you used to have Were like those travel sweets that you never see for sale anywhere anymore they were like sort of dusted in that uh, icing sugar stuff my granddad always used to have them
1: i don't think i've ever had one since they're the ones yep so you keep them nice. in your glove box you know you want a little sweet treat while you're uh, bombing down the country lanes in your y-type you know what what more could you want um, so they are they're they're made in the uk um, and you can pick um, there's an image on the top you can pick either um, some ladies in the late 1940s building y-type saloons or you can have that iconic image of the factory admin block. and they're just a nice little gift um, they're not expensive they last ages um, so you can pop them in the glove box and then you know if ever you, you fancy a little like i said sweet treat you've got something there with you well the thing with these is i often buy these not because i necessarily want the sweets inside but
0: because i want the tin afterwards i've got a lovely shortbread tin that i keep bits and bobs in in the kitchen with an MGTC on the front and i, I mean I, I think i gave the shortbread away to other people i don't think i even ate it myself it was more about the tin for me <laughs> that's partly the attraction of these i think as well so uh, the mg car club travel suites just like your granddad used to have uh, they're on the shop now also uh, we mentioned earlier of course the 90th anniversary of the mg car club this year and the last chance really to get your hands on the large 90th anniversary grill badges for your mg now i say large grill badges because these are the grill badges that fit basically anything before 1979 so mgbs uh, mg midgets the vintage cars uh, these are the ones for you if you've got a later car 1980s onwards then you'll need the small grill badges which are also on the shop you can find them all on the mg car club shop now via mgcc.co.uk but these are flying off the shelves aren't they adam and they are limited edition they are all
1: individually numbered they are so you can't have number 73 because i bought number 73 um but um yeah we have got just a few left and we've we've only had 251 produced um as we do with any limited edition here um so yeah so if you want one now is your really is your last chance uh, the small grill badges have literally landed with us this week um so they will be available imminently if they're not already on the shop by the time you hear this um so yeah now really is your last chance to get one those large grill badges and they are lovely. Um they're almost too nice to put in your car to be honest. Well not to really panic anyone into a sense
0: of urgency here, but we have over three thousand listeners to this podcast and there are only two hundred and fifty big grill badges ever made. So Get yours quick before you miss out, basically. Uh, and don't miss out because they are lovely. And uh, I mean, I saw them on the shop, to be honest. I didn't really quite appreciate till I saw one in the flesh just how beautifully made they are.
1: Yeah, and they've got a real heft to them. You know, this is not cheap, flimsy. They are really deeply coloured and like i said they're really thick and they will last a long long time so even if you do put one on the car and you know what it's like when you've got grill badges on your car um, especially in the summer they end up thick with bugs and flies and all sorts of splats on them Um, but these are really well made and they will last and last and last
0: they'll stay with your car for decades all part of the story of the mg car club in this 90th anniversary year and also um, if you want to keep hold of all of those safety fast magazines that you've accumulated over the years then we've got the binders still on the shop and they're a brilliant way of organizing your collection and also a brilliant way of making sure that they're not annoying uh your partner who lives in the house and who is finding them everywhere as you would do if you come to my house (laughs) safety fast seems to leap out i mean i've got quite a lot in the in the loo to be quite honest with you just between you and i uh but i find that's the quietest and nicest place to read it but um if you want to do, if you do want to keep them organised and uh, make them easy to look through and find stuff, these binders are ideal, aren't they?
1: Yeah, quick, simple, keeps them safe. You know, it's it's no one likes a dog-eared magazine, do they? And I've I've seen a selection of the reading material that's in your uh, gentleman's closet, shall we say? Um, <laughs> and yeah, get get them in a folder so they don't end up uh, damp and dog-eared like Wayne's. <laughs> absolutely yes but well-thumbed and Indeed. well-enjoyed
0: i can assure you <laughs> well uh talking of well-enjoyed i've enjoyed this episode of the mg car club podcast i can't believe that is episode 20 in the bag unbelievable uh, thanks for again joining us throughout the last 20 weeks here on the mg car club podcast
1: this is not the end we'll be back next week so until then cheerio from me and cheerio from me. And who knows, this time next week, we could be the 36th most popular automotive podcast in the Netherlands. Keep downloading, get us there. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Yes.
0: Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.